welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey everybody, my guest this week is Dr. Owen Rees-Hughes, and he's the founder and CEO of Synapsis. Owen's got over 13 years of experience working as a doctor, he's a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, and he's been awarded a personal fellowship from the Medical Research Council, and has twice received the British Journal of Surgery Prize. So Synapsis Smart Referrals reduces A&E attendances by 83% and face-to-face appointments by 70%. And they do that through advice and guidance. So GPs can contact specialists for advice quickly and securely. They make it super easy for primary care physicians, nurses, paramedics, pharmacists, everyone to talk directly and securely with local specialists. And those specialists direct patient flow and improve efficiency through all those different mechanisms that I've mentioned. But Owen's going to talk to you all about that stuff now. So enjoy. So, Owen, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yes, I'm doing really well, um, despite the circumstances that we will find ourselves in. Um, yeah, it's still, uh, still very challenging times, right? I mean, this has been I, I, every week. I'm like, oh, this is still going on. We're still in lockdown, all the rest of it. We're still sort of in lockdown, aren't we? We're although I'm allowed to play tennis again, which which has completely changed the game for me. So my mental health is now absolutely fine. <laughs> I can basically go back yeah. to my previous life. But um, yeah, <laughs> stay home, stay alert. Are you staying alert, Owen? Uh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best to, to be alert. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really funny thing, isn't it? So it's, it's, it must be very difficult for all the policymakers to, you know, get it right. I, I, I don't envy them at all. I don't know. I agree. Incredibly difficult job to try and do any sort of policy around this. I imagine the, just the amount of information that must come to you with all the different modeling and all the different bits and bobs like, yeah, rather them than yeah. me, mate. I don't know about you. Yeah. So, um, I think what, one of the str- strangest things really is that I've um, uh, experienced, I guess, or um, during this time is kind of the juxtaposition between uh, life around where, where I, I live mm. um, and how kind of normal it is to, to a large extent, even during lockdown, there are people going out um, uh, one day, uh, one, once a day for a walk. And, yeah. and although it was much quieter, it was kind of normal. Yeah. And what I hear from, uh, you know, friends and colleagues who are on the front line in hospital and, and just the, the difference uh, in experience and perspective on this whole thing. Yeah. Um, that, that has been, that is quite, quite strange, really. So, yeah, so I've always got those stories in, in, in you know, front of my mind, really, and thinking yeah. the worry that, that people have in the NHS about, um, you know, what, what the effects of, of uh, this easing is going to be in a few weeks time. It's a good point. It's a really good point. And it's, you know, it's all well and good me saying it makes sense and, you know, people are going to have common sense and it's going to be fine, but you're absolutely right. There's obviously going to be a delayed reaction if there is indeed going to be a real a reaction. Um, whereabouts are you based though in out of interest? Uh, so, uh, so I live in, in uh, a place called Crouch End, which oh, yeah. um, is uh, kind of north of Camden, I guess. Or, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. In London, and we have uh, uh, kind of offices uh, in in Westminster. So uh, we we took some some offices in uh, Public Hall, which is uh, a new, oh yeah, very nice. Um, yeah, no, it is it is very nice actually. Um, uh, just off to the MOD, so in the, in the heart of Westminster. Oh. Uh, from March, we haven't been there, so you know. Oh God, we, of course, we've yeah. Closed down. And we've been working remotely since then. How are you finding um, the remote working? Out of interest. Okay, actually. So it's busy. So it's busy. So I spend pretty much 12 hours a day. (laughs) It's like when I was uh, kind of a a house officer again, I kind of have to rush to get my meal and I'm kind of (laughs) lunch while they're working. And because nobody factors in a break. So this is it, mate. This is exactly it. So what is it? Parkinson's law work expands to fit the time allowed. I just think when you've got all day, to do a list of tasks, they'll take you all day. When you don't have a commute to aim for, like, oh, I'd better get the five past five train, so I'm going to make sure I get this done and, and, and all the rest of it. I, I completely agree with you that I'm working definitely longer and later and, <laughs> as, you, as you say, like working through any sort of potential break I might have given myself. It's, um, 
yeah, it, it's very bizarre. Anyway, we already digressed, dude. But um, listen, the way we, the way we normally start these podcasts um, is that I get you to tell your story. So obviously, I know you very well from from the time at Digital Health London, which is obviously the first accelerator that I ran, and helping you guys um, with NHS models and and all the rest of it, and contacts getting into there. So oh, that's going back now, isn't it? That's what like three, four years ago, maybe. No, yeah, it can't four, be that long. Four, is it four? four years? Yeah. God, time's flying. So anyway, so I know, I know you obviously from then, um, but I guess maybe for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us, tell us a bit about a bit about you and a bit about your story? I grew up in Wales, uh, which is probably not a surprise to anyone. Uh, <laughs> I went to uh, medical school in Cardiff, so uh, it was the Rugby World Cup uh, there when I started. So oh, that must have been fun. Wasn't... Yeah, it was. It was. It was fun all the way along. So I was there for for eight years with um, kind of F one and F two. So I really nice. brilliant place. That, um, uh, yeah, I, I kind of miss it actually. It's a good good place to be. Um, and yeah, so I, I always kind of from kind of the middle of medical school, I wanted to be kind of an ENT surgeon, nose and throat surgeon. Um, so I kind of focused really, you know, it was uh, super competitive or so I thought. Um, so I kind of focused <laughs> on, on, on that as a, as a target. Um, and uh, I did kind of F1 and F2 uh, in Cardiff. And then I got uh, an academic clinical fellowship um, in ENT, so it was kind of the first time that these surgical, they were called Warport port posts, like after Mark Warport, the okay. uh, Welcome Trust director, um, and it was the first time that, that they were offered in surgery. So I kind of took a punt and uh, luckily got, got it and moved to, to uh, live in Bath uh, and work at the Royal United Hospital there uh, and do one day a week of, of research, um, in a lab, which nice. I hadn't done before. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I kind of worked with, uh, really kind of in, uh, inspiring people actually in the ENT department in Bath and, and had a, had a great time there. Uh, and learning what's the, about what sort of stuff were you working on out of interest? So I was working on immunology actually. So airway immunology, um, okay. so understanding, uh, understanding why some people get tumors in the airway. So virally oh, right. induced tumors, uh, HPV. So similar oh, to yeah. cervical cancer. Yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so I, I did that and then I got an MRC. So a medical research council fellowship, um, to do research at, um, the Institute of Child Health, so and Grace Woman Street in in uh, through UCL basically yeah. in London. So I moved to London. Uh, that was in two thousand and nine, and did more more research kind of <laughs> in the lab, as well as doing, doing you know continuing my my clinical training as well. Um, Normally, entrepreneurs kind of, can't put up with this amount of research, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I realized. I realized that um, I knew you know, this bit was coming. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really for me. What I realized was very few people are actually good enough to do to have a huge impact in in in, in research very few that's, um, an, that's an interesting and, take on it yeah and i would put that the ratio much lower than the ratio of, of professors i met uh, that, that is the honest truth yeah um, i think it's easier to become a professor than to be really good at research interesting um, <laughs> and i i realized it you know, I, it wasn't, it wasn't my thing, you know, I, I yeah. wouldn't be that. Although I found it interesting and, and, you know, uh, I, I was doing, doing pretty well at it. I realized that, that, that I, w- I wouldn't be, it wasn't what I loved. Mm. Um, but what I did love about it was this, the thing about kind of academia is that you can think of an idea and then it's your job to design experiments to, you know, to, to test that idea. So mm. it's, it's very entrepreneurial in that sense. It's just the attrition. It's just that it's very, anything biological as you yeah. know, very, very difficult. So it's, it's, you have to be incredibly tenacious. And, yeah. Um, it's a good point though, that you do have a bit of creative control, right? Uh, especially, I suppose, at the start, if you're dreaming up hypotheses and all the rest of it. And as you say, you do get the opportunity to prove yourself wrong or right. That's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting sort of spark of entrepreneurship, perhaps. Yeah, is the, the, the biggest difference, I would say, is how hard it is to build uh, a team in academia, in a way. Because in research, you have to apply for, for grant funding and 
it's very slow in that sense. Yeah. Where building a business, it's 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 much easier to to get interesting people to work with you, I think, mm. especially now. People mm. are thinking like that, where in academia is a bit it's a bit harder, I think. So after that, I went back and, and finished my uh, surgical training over uh, over the next six years um, and uh, finished that. So I kind of did that in North London. So it was kind of, you know, Great Ormond Street again and UCL and uh, the Royal Marsden and uh, the Royal Free. So those are the kind of places I worked doing ENT and learning how to to operate, basically. So, that, so obviously, so you... Yeah, you tra- you trained in 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 medicine, and and obviously you've got this spark of entrepreneurship. I mean, when you were training, were you, were you spotting problems that you wanted to solve? Was that kind of like a constant thing for you? Were you, I don't know, did you have like a little book of ideas or that sort of stuff? Because I I hear all sorts from from medics that have been entrepreneurial, or whether whether you just sort of found a problem that you just thought this absolutely needs solving at one point and threw everything into it. I mean, how. How, what was it like for you being an entrepreneurial type person in medicine? Uh, so I've always been like that. So I've always been kind of, it's only now that I've realized that, that what, I, what I actually love and I've always been kind of entrepreneurial and always, you know, thought of new ways of doing things. And, and I was trying to see, find how to express that. And, you know, yeah. academia was, was kind of the first punt at it. But after that, I, you know, I, I, I started a company uh, even then, so I had a, I, I uh, started a company that did kind of voice analysis through, uh, through, through your iPhone. Um, so oh, right. we, we um, applied these, uh, voice analysis algorithms. So they're basically wave analysis. Um, and we put them So myself and a couple of guys, uh, from, from Oxford who developed this thing called OperaVox, which was on-person rapid voice examiner. <laughs> it was nice. uh, an app that you could download on your phone. And so we started that back in 2011. So it was you know, <laughs> oh my God. a few years. And it, it was used all over the world. So um, uh, it, it, was used, it was featured in the, in the Boston Globe and it was somebody bought, our, we had like three versions. So a free version, uh, a middle tier version, which is 30 pounds and like uh, an enterprise version. This is all on the app store for 300 pounds. And somebody wow. bought the three hundred pound one from Sierra Leone. <laughs> I just felt quite guilty about it. I thought it must have been a mistake. Wow, <laughs> what a moment uh, yeah. that must have been for you. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> bought the three hundred pound version. I can't believe it. There's that story, isn't there? I remember when the App Store first came out that someone put an app which was just a picture of a diamond on the App Store for the maximum amount of money possible. But because it was the maximum amount of money possible, like journalists were buying it to write about what on earth it was. So like all these yeah. corporate budgets just ended up going to it. Like a, a glorious marketing move, to be perfectly honest. So good for you for having like the mega expensive version. Yeah. And the idea was that that was kind of the enterprise version. But, yeah. you know, the free version actually became, uh, you know, fairly popular in a niche way. So, um, you know, singers would use it um, so they could kind of monitor oh, cool. the range. Uh, before performances and um, people who are going through uh, gender reassignment. Uh, so they wanted to kind of train their voices to either become higher in pitch or lower. Yeah. So yeah, so we have kind of a, a niche market in, in voice, in on-person rapid voice examination, which is thing we call. Very cool. So, so I learned so, a lot from that. I was going to say, what did yeah? So what did you learn from it? Because was that quite early on then in your medical career? Uh, it was yeah. It was just it was before I started uh, registrar training. Okay, uh, so. nice. So I suppose um, yeah. I mean that's just dipping your toe into the business world, right? And just understanding a bit about pricing and as you say, like even marketing and and all the rest of it. Um, I, I suppose that that set you up quite nicely for was it synapsis next or or, or whatever whatever did come next. Yeah, synapses came next. So a few things I, I learned, actually. The major thing was, uh, is to get alignment of interest. So with your, with your found, founders. So you need to be, everybody have an understanding of where they want to go ultimately. Yeah. And uh, with OperaVox, we had very modest um, uh, ambitions. And the ambition was to get a product that would be used by clinicians 
that I respected. So that was, this was kind of my goal for it. Nice. You, you know, we achieved that. We, we produced a product that was used in clinical practice, you know, by you know, I don't know, thousands of people, I guess. Um, and many of them are, you know, some of them I knew and, and respected, you know, and they would, they, some people uh, wrote papers about Oprovox. Wow, that's awesome. Articles about it. So that, that was our, our goal. Uh, and that, that's the biggest lesson I learned, really, that, you know, a, a company is like a many-year massive endeavor. Mm. And you want to set out with, with, you know, your objectives clear and, you know, with, with your, your, the founding team uh, in the same boat, really. So mm. you need to think carefully about, about that, I think. Um, and I did that with, with synapses, you know, I really spent time thinking about, uh, what, why was I taking on this huge project, uh, at that time in my life uh, mm. and what, what the goal was ultimately. So tell me about, tell me about that then. So tell me about, you know, finding the problem that you wanted to solve. And I suppose the, the early days of building synapsis, what was, what was going on at that point? You know, I, I'm particularly interested in that kind of matching the problem to then uh, i guess the early build of the solution you know how did you go about it did you get a co-founder did you pay someone to build it so yeah talk me through the kind of from spotting the problem to, to mvp so i guess a couple of things uh uh happened so one as i said i was uh, kind of a um a registrar by that time and one of the things that that i saw was that you know there's a massive disconnect between what was happening in primary care and what we, what I was seeing in in secondary care, and and also between you know different hospitals, and I thought, you know, it doesn't serve anybody well this kind of clunky process where at that time we're communicating via letters, um, you know, over over weeks apart, typically by the time yeah. they were they were typed up and everything, and I just thought there you know, things. Are going to change. This cannot. This is not going to continue. Things will definitely change. If they do change, then they're going to really affect my life as a as a clinician. So, you know, I kind of like to be proactive. So I I, I thought, well, I'm I'm going to be part of the change mm. rather than than subject to it. So that was kind of the, the realization. I thought, you know, it makes it's such an inefficient way of doing things that the way they were. Uh, and things can can definitely be better, and they will be. So I thought there was a sense of inevitability about it. Mm. And then the other thing that happened was that a lot of the technology that we would need started to become commoditized. So, um, so like, for me, I've literally just written down the technology already existed. Yeah. So so things became kind of commoditized, like uh, um, you know cloud telephony and cloud video yeah. and cloud you know messaging now and. So it all, it, it all became very possible. I thought, actually, you know, it's possible to build an MVP now. So that's that's what we did pretty quickly. And I teamed up with uh, uh, William, our, uh, our CTO now. So he was the first guy I spoke to it about. And, and uh, so I knew him. So I built some products with him. So he wasn't part of OperaVox, but uh, another project I did before OperaVox. Mm. So yeah, he was the first guy I spoke to about. And, and he's uh, just such a brilliant person. Yeah, so so we we've kind of been working uh, together, and the, the, obviously the team has has grown over the time. But but um, yeah, so we started uh, with with an MVP really, which did what? So obviously the so the problem, yeah, the disconnect between primary and secondary care, obviously enormous. So much slips through the cracks. It, it's it's long communication in terms of time and energy and effort. The whole the whole thing's long, right? So. Yeah, obviously you spotting that problem. There's there's obviously a thousand different things that you could do, and probably way more than that actually that could go some way to solving the problem. So, yeah, how how did you figure out a specific part of that to solve, and what was the what was the specific bit that you did go for, and and what what did you build to solve the problem? Yeah, so we started off uh, with a solution that connected GPs and specialists by voice. So. Um, like, so, you know, uh, a GP wants advice there and then when they have a patient next to them and they want to find out what the next step for this patient is. Mm. So what, what we started off with a way that would connect the GP very quickly to the right specialist in the hospital. Kind of this, this was the product we, we built 
pretty quickly, really. So just in a you know in a few months, we had a, a product um, that that worked in that sense, um, and then we started going around uh, talking to kind of uh, groups of GPs and clinicians about it and about the idea. We started to understand actually. They many GPs worked in different ways. So they thought actually, you know, this wouldn't work for everything that we do. So we need um, more you know, different features like asynchronous ways of communicating and uh, ways of making referrals and uh, instant messaging and um, you know video even. So so we we kind of had an MPP, which in retrospect probably was good enough to go to 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 market with actually. Yeah. Um, but we didn't, we didn't, uh, which, which I think if I was looking back, I probably would have been, uh, more bullish on, on, on the product that we had at that point, because I think, I think if you're a clinician, you want things to be, you know, really good, like really good. Like, um, and where I think maybe somebody from another sector who's starting a company, maybe, you know, just, just a bit more bullish. (laughs) It's, yeah, we yeah. I can speak for myself. The high high standards. Yeah, definitely. When it comes to when it comes to quality and when it because we we're so evidence based and we're so safety conscious and yeah, we're we're taught all of those things and it's it's so hard to move fast and break things when you're just so used to not wanting anything to break at all. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's a very different mindset. Fast building a company to um to practicing defensive medicine. So I'm with you on that, mate. Yeah, exactly. So, so that kind of so it meant that um, we we spent longer developing. So you know, by the time we got our first customer, we'd been developing for like two years. Yeah. So we had a kind of a, a, a mature product, I guess. By the time uh, we went live, um, so definitely much, much, much more mature than than mm. yeah. And we've kind of been continuing uh, to develop ever since, and and got faster obviously. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So yeah. Tell me about your customers then and tell me, t- well, actually, no, let's go, let's go to what synapsis is now. So, um, have you deviated much from that original product? Yeah. Tell me what you guys do now and then, yeah. Who are you working with? What are you doing for them? Yeah. Talk to all that. Yeah. So, um, so basically our first customer, um, was, uh, a Gloucestershire clinical commissioning group, and they were kind of are transitioning into an integrated care system. And they're kind of one of the first wave of integrated care systems. So they're already thinking in uh, a systems way, you know, between the acute community trust, all the practices in the CCG, and also the uh, ambulance service. So they, they're kind of ahead of the curve in, in this way of thinking. Yeah. So what we had in, in synapses by that time really fitted in with what they wanted. So what they wanted was a way across, you know, a breadth of services, um, enable GPs and, and consultants, local consultants in the hospital to work together, you know, remotely solve a problem and, you know, prevent, either prevent the patient from having to you know, go to hospital at all or what it's delivered is actually improve that process, so they you know don't have to go through A and E, but they go more efficiently to a you know either to an outpatient clinic, a virtual clinic, or to um, kind of an urgent care, same day urgent care, yeah, uh, uh, emergency care setting. So um, it's hel- so it's helping to basically streamline all the clinical pathways, right? So instead of A to B to C to D to E, et cetera, it's just like, well, actually we can just go A to X here straight away because we know what needs to be done. And actually you're skipping all that, you know, you're making all those cost savings in between, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and we're doing that kind of across a lot of specialities now. So, you know, adult mental, pediatrics, trauma orthopedics, respiratory, and they've, they've, they've kind of created kind of new speciality or new kind of pathways, if you like. There's a yeah. trail pathway, which is a, a joint between uh, emergency care and and uh, care of the elderly, for example. So there. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it, mate? Because it's like, obviously, the, the, there's going to be so many clinicians listening. You know, I I was a clinician for five years and it's what it's one of those things. You know, I've sat, I've sat in GP practices and I've, I've done those clinics and so often you just felt, Oh, if only I just had 
this or if only I just had an opinion on that. And instead, it just felt so inefficient having to write a letter, send them to our patients that have a six week wait, they'd have to travel in from home just to deliver the same information to a different professional who probably just says it's fine go home <laughs> like gives them something that they could have just said over a referral it's it is such an inefficient system that and, and it's also funny in the context of, of obviously at the minute with everything needing to be remote and everything everybody being a lot more open to these kind of forgive the term, but shortcuts in terms of, well, actually, can we chop off 80% of this pathway if we can just skip to the the end bit, given that we all know what's going to happen here. And actually, let's just get the opinion from the experts and just get it done, right? And it, it seems to me that it's it's a sort of a common, it's sort of common sense medicine, that this is kind of, it's where it goes when you just take out the bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy. So interestingly, I suppose my question here is that, that skipping all that process makes loads of sense to me as a clinician right how much did that make sense to people when you were saying this originally because my assumption is that there must have been a lot of pushback somewhere from i don't know policy or i don't know top i don't know the the people who are responsible so the i guess the the consultants or the i don't know somebody must have felt that this is the most terrible idea in the world right or am i wrong oh no you're absolutely right so (laughs) there was because I can imagine this, this induced so much anxiety and panic <laughs> somewhere in the system. I'm just trying to figure out where it was. Oh, it was, it was everywhere. So <laughs> just, um, just by the nature of what we're trying to do, you know, we're trying to connect. Trying to innovate in healthcare, yeah. Yeah, bits of the system that really, actually there's, there's very little understanding. So, you know, I guess you forget, but when you're in med school, you do spend time in primary care and you do spend time in hospitals. So yeah. you have... You leave medical with a good understanding, I think, of both. Yeah. But me, for example, I, you know, I then spend all my time in, in hospitals, you know, and kind of uh, bigger and bigger hospitals as, as the years went on. Yeah. Um, and then it's only when I started again with synapses and going out to, to GP practices, I really, again, you know, had, had an understanding of, of what it's like to be in primary care. Mm. So when... You know, when we were starting again to 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 um, roll out the the system, and I was going then to the consultants in the hospital and talking to them about this solution and this way of working and communicating, I had empathy for them for 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 mm. you know what why 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 there was that mis- misunderstanding sometimes, and mm. you know, but what I saw, we started with the acute acute medics and. Um, you know, they're, they're like, I think by their nature, they're very pragmatic people and, and really, uh, you know, brilliant. They've been brilliant people to work with, uh, everybody actually, pediatricians as well. Uh, so these were the first services that we put on. But their first question, actually, understandably, was, you know, I can see what, what's in it for the GPs, but really, what is in it for us? Um, yeah, good point. And... Incoming chat. Excuse me. Uh, and... One of the things that we had to answer was actually what is in it for them? Why would they engage with this? And we spent kind of a lot of time thinking about that. And actually what, they, what, what the pain that they had was that their work was in, unpredictable. From their perspective, they were seeing many of these patients anyway. Yeah. So if they did nothing, these patients were turning up in A&E. Yeah. If they turned up in A&E... Yeah. They had to go down to A&E to see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that could be any time of the day, you know, and it, and it was very difficult for them to manage the peak in demand. Yeah. So by understanding that pain point, we kind of evolved the system to give them control again. Mm. So rather than them thinking, actually, we can, we are helping the GPs, which they definitely are, to, you know, do the right thing and, and to have somebody to, to have a discussion about actually the value to them is that they can all of a sudden control the flow of patients into their department. Yeah. And now actually they've become massive advocates um, of, of, of us, they're probably the biggest advocates. They, mm. they, they, you know, are evangelizing to their colleagues in other hospitals and people in, you know, in other departments within their own hospital and giving presentations. Um, 
Which, dude, have- if you're going to sell anything to the UK National Health Service, you want to get them selling to each other. You want to deliver a really good product and just hope that they're going to tell each other because that's who they're going to trust. And it's it's such an important point. Um, and I, I just, I've just got a few interesting questions. So I'm interested in the, so the, the technology here. So from a technology perspective... What what is it that you've actually built? Is it literally is it literally a communication channel between primary and secondary care that people are using? Is it is it I don't know? Is it like a standardised referral thing? I mean, how, how does this look from a tech perspective? Uh, so from a tech perspective, so we've developed a system that's uh, internet facing, uh, but yeah. also um, data resides on the health and social care network. Yeah. Um, so and that's. We've been able to do that through the partnerships that we've built um, Got it. Quite, quite early on. And what that means is that we can deliver a, a degree of functionality and ease of use uh, that you'd expect you know, with, with a, a, an app, uh, you know, a web app, a, a native app. Yeah. Um, but also with the security and degree of integration with uh, NHS um, you know, services that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Um, Got it. So, and, you know, so, so that's kind of fundamentally how, how, how it's architecture. So do you need to be interoperable with much? Did you have that kind of interoperability nightmare of having to connect to everything? So, yeah, so it's, it, it, so everybody kind of talks about interoperability. It's kind of the first question that people ask, um, uh, and we we do do that. So we we've got you know, we work with a, um, you know, a GP systems and yeah. uh, you know anybody with an API we've kind of integrated with it. Yeah. Um, but actually, there's a lot of costs involved you know, for the customer to use those things, mm. and they really think about that. So actually, when they talk about integration, the, the, not not from us by the way, by by uh, the other vendors, I guess. So that that really limits the amount of integration that's happened. Now, now this is changing. I guess with NHSX, uh, these APIs are being opened up, mm. uh, which is a good thing. But it, it, so basically, what it's meant is that we've had to build a system that can stand on its own, that has functionality by itself, um, but also has the ability to integrate, you know, very quickly where it needs to. Mm. So we, you know. We do have a kind of unified communication channel that can uh, work with any kind of pathway, but also can facilitate uh, any form of, of communication, so messaging, voice, uh, video, uh, referral type forms. Oh, cool. Um, but also has, has an ability to, to send that information back into the, to the clinical systems on yeah. both sides. Plus, we collect a huge amount of data around what happens, and that data is really useful for for our customers. Nice, and I'd like to bring you back to the business model as well, because you mentioned it that obviously, if you're solving a problem in in primary care slash sort of solving it in secondary care, and you're helping one and not helping the other. Sometimes, you know, who's going to pay? It's two separate budgets. If one pays, the other one saves. Like all these nightmares of like primary and secondary care, which, as you said, is why you've gone to these kind of integrated systems that have one budget, or at least as close to one budget as as, you, as they can get, or, or that you can get at the minute. Um, so they can make that kind of call and they don't have to be like, well, if we pay, they save. So actually those kind of integrated systems that you mentioned are actually so important for something like this. And obviously the idea of it enabling innovation is, is, is obviously working. But so for you guys then, how, what, what is your business model and how, how do you guys think about all that and, and negotiate those difficult, I suppose, budget boundary conversations? Yeah. So, um, you know they they are difficult to to navigate, but the the truth is the return on investment is huge um, for for our system. So it's there are this way of working has savings to to whoever the payer is, whatever the the relationship. Yeah, is they just need to 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 work it out. So and the onus is on us to to evidence that and mm. to to show it to them. Um, and to keep our costs at a level where it's 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 very clear that that um, 
you know, uh, working in this way makes sense. Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you an, an, an example. So for urgent care, for example, yeah. um, the CCG will save by reducing A&E attendances. And yeah. because there's a tariff for A&E attendance and, and they, 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 will, they will save. Yeah. But the trust also saves if you can make their processes more efficient. Yeah. So, and really, that's where most of the savings are in, in that case. So, so even though the trust may, you know, attract a tariff for every A&E attendance, it's such a burden because, you know, th- there's problems with staffing. Problems yeah, and one, one breach of the targets and you're back to square one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it is, it, it can be a, a, a win-win and it, and it, and it is. Um, yeah. So, you know, you can both reduce any attendances in total yeah plus improve flow so and then Got it. and then once you, once we've demonstrated that then there's a new kind of argument about who should pay you know again <laughs> so, like, who's saving the most so who should who should pay <laughs> the amount of inefficiency or the quantum of inefficiency isn't fully realized by the people who are holding the, the budget so within their system until they've implemented snaps and they can see you know the amount of savings that that they can they can do they can they can realize um i don't think they they fully know or because it's such a complex system they fully um uh, know that the 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 amount the, that inefficiency is costing them I, yeah you've i'm enjoying kind of this everybody wins thing obviously the, the understanding how it affects secondary care is important um, but then you've got the obvious winners as well. You know, the obvious winners in primary care that are getting that specialist information straight away and, and you know, much or much sooner than they, they would otherwise. The patients are winning because, as you say, you're, you're getting them the information quickly, but actually it's saving them so much kind of practically for, with all the letter writing and visits to our patients. You're saving them a lot of that stuff as well. And it seems like yeah, it, it, I always talk about this in this podcast, right? About really, really understanding the problem, and you have to kind of go deep within it and and speak to everybody that this problem touches in order to understand it. I think here the problem's obvious, and the problem's pretty pretty obvious that it'd just be way better if we got specialist information as quickly as possible to people when they need it. You know, the 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 problem's quite easy to spot, but I think in order for people to solve it. I think that's what's difficult. That's probably your defensibility, right? Which is that for for anybody to come in and actually figure out how practically to solve this issue with all of those complex, you know, issues around budgets and all the different clinical workflows and all the rest of it. And even like you say, spending time with enough consultants in secondary care to understand that a real niche element that they really care about is the lack of control they feel over their day so actually giving them a structured you know bit of work actually solves a huge problem and brings you loads of engagement and so it sounds like a hell of a journey that you've been on like constantly i suppose being in this and trying to say well does this work no because and does this work no because i mean was that kind of what it was like i mean how long did it take from start to finish to get to to get to kind of where synapsis is now uh, well, so we, we started in, um, you know, I started working on it in, in 2016, actually. So it's been <laughs> yeah. kind of a, a long time. And yeah. part of the thing was that I was doing it as well as uh, my surgical training for mm. until, um, kind of 18 months ago. Are you still doing that now? No, so I, f- I finished. I finished my, I got my CCT, which is... Oh, very nice. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I was kind of determined to do that just to, you know, keep my parents happy and just prove the point. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, Sorry, it was my dad still thinks I'm a doctor. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was just a, a, an awful amount of work, an awful amount of work, really. You know, it's, 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 it, there's, it's still any, anyone who's running a company will, will know that it's, mm. work. but to do it alongside um, surgical training was, was um, a bit, uh, not, not not to be recommended i think i, mm. I, don't, I don't think it's it's, it's uh, and, and probably that slowed us down a bit uh, our progress and actually you know uh, now we've kind of sped up a huge amount just yeah. by the fact that, that uh, did you raise investment did you have to raise investment uh so we raised a little bit yeah. um uh but but the 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 biggest thing that we got from that investment was the partnership 
yeah yeah and that 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 that's been really good so it was, ah. yeah value of smart money hey yes it's yeah it's gonna you've got to be careful i guess about um how you know how you value the 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 part of often they're overvalued but actually it's it's now really coming into its own mm. uh, but it's just it's, it's just um a massive distraction raising money um <laughs> so i i we, we've been lucky actually we've been funded uh by contracts since then so good for you uh, yeah it's 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 been it's it's been good proper business mate revenue <laughs> profit glorious yeah no <laughs> exactly it's it's i can't say it's been easy it's been uh <laughs> we've been lean for a long time uh but now now we can we can grow a bit which is which is really awesome good. so yeah tell me about your scale then so you mentioned one or two places that you're in um yeah if you you know you're obviously profitable with contracts and stuff yeah tell me either what it was like scaling or, or where you're at now and yeah go into a bit of that for me yeah so we we've, we've scaled largely with, with our existing customers so we've uh, kind of grown the size of um you know our deployment there to yeah. across uh you know the the whole of the ics i guess so you know mm. um, all, all the trusts involved from the uh which again makes sense though right if if you're spreading across one system of which you're part it's it makes loads of sense because you go into one site you prove it you've got clear demonstrable metrics of savings that you've made and efficiency and quality and all these different things and then they're all in the same network so it's kind of I guess it's a subtle proof point of what you do in a way, because obviously if everybody in the same system then adopts it, surely that's subtle validation that you, that you're onto the right thing and, and doing the right thing for, for the people that, that you're involved with. Yeah. And, and that's kind of uh, our value proposition in a way is that, is that the more, you know, the more synapses you get, <laughs> the, the better it is. Yeah. You get a multiple. Yeah, no, I that. I can believe that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of demonstrated like that. And then, um, you know, once, once you're at a certain scale, then, then the data will suddenly become really valuable, you know, not, not to us, but for, but for our customers, you know, mm. they can really start to understand the flow of patients across the whole population. That's a good point, actually. And then I suppose actually change the clinical workflows to, per, you know, permanently adopt some of this stuff or try things out or yeah, as you say, if, if, if certain things are happening, they can set up different clinics or, or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. So, and yeah, the, the, it can start to become like a tool for, for change. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it, that's, that's really exciting. And on the back of that, we're starting now to um, get other, other opportunities. Um, so in other, other parts of the country and, um, you know, we're finding that that other companies want to partner with us because um, you know they know that we're doing something that's that's quite difficult to do um, well. You know, so yeah, so quite a few um, varied types of companies, um, you know, uh, like established ones, um, are, are starting to partner with us now. I can't talk specifically about them, but sure, uh, sure, yeah, it's 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 an interesting time from from that from that perspective too it's a good point man I mean, you know when you scale across the public sector in the uk you know it's uh, the nhs it's it's interesting the, the kind of moat that you have behind you just on the fact that you're a trusted brand in a few locations or many locations even because it seems you know so much of our nhs is based on trust and so much about getting contracts is about trust and I think if a lot of it has to be done on personal, personal ability and personal brand and obviously you being there and on site and all the rest of it and building those relationships or indeed whoever it is in the team. But then if you've got a really trusted brand, there's so much you can do, as you say, with, with partners wanting to join you for the reach that you've got. And I think, it, yeah, it's, it's such, it's such an interesting model. I mean, I've seen it even, I mean, you, you know, perfect ward, right. Who are on the, on the accelerator um, yes. as well. Yeah. And Dr. Doctor and those guys, you know, yeah. those are business models that just did really well to scale because they solved a really similar problem everywhere, right? The same as you guys. And I think, you know, once you get speaking to Jonathan, he's, you know, he's been on this podcast as well. You know, once you get to 30 odd trusts or whatever that you're in or, or sites, sort of you want to call it, 
it starts to get super interesting because by that point they're definitely selling to each other because they all want in on like how good it is, has been for them. But also you can start like releasing other products into there and like other different bits and bobs under the same brand. And yeah, it's, it, it's really interesting because it can be, <laughs> well, I don't need to tell you this. It can be hard grind selling to the public sector in the UK. Right. But, um, yeah, it sounds like it takes a, takes a lot of time, but for some people, the rewards can be there. And it sounds like you guys are approaching that if not there already. I think you know solving any 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 important problem. Uh, I think pe- people will value that. So so you know things that you know doc- doctor are doing uh, around um, you know uh, letting patients control um, you know have more control about their outpatients or or per- yeah. as you say with uh, inspections. So these are very important problems that the NHS need to solve. So. Um, yes, it's not surprising that, that they're, they're being uh, successful, and and both of them, as you say, have have very good brands. I would say. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that that's kind of what we're trying to you know, to emulate. I think we're definitely solving a very important problem. Um, it's 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 a complex problem, so it's it's taken as a bit a bit longer probably to mm. to get there. Um, I think you're right. It's it's me- it's <laughs> it's messy. The problem that you've gone in to try and solve. I don't know if you do. You know Elliot from Infinity Health. I don't know if you know those guys. But that yes, Elliot, yeah. yeah. So Elliot came on this podcast as well, and he he was saying, you know, <laughs> when you start pulling at the thread of handover, and you just think, ah, oh, handover's fine. Like it's just like one thing that happens in the hospital. I can solve this. I can just code an app in five minutes and solve handover. But as soon as you pull the thread of handover, you just realise that handover is linked to literally literally everything that has happened in the hospital in the last 12 hours, like not even you, but pathology and radiology, like it literally is the epitome of everything over the last 12 hours. So you cannot solve handover without solving task management for the entire hospital, which is what they've ended up having to do. And it sounds like you probably went on a similar journey, right? I mean, when you started pulling at this thread, I mean, could you have, could you have imagined the problem would be so complex? So, yeah, so th- there's just so many different ways that you know, within a hospital, uh, every department works diff- slightly differently. And you know, when when it when it building a solution, that slight difference, you know, mean, means a, a significant change. And you have to, I think, you have to have a particular way of thinking. So um, you know, so so we we when we build a solution for someone, we try and do it so that we we only have to code it once mm. and then that can become kind of an option or a, a, an easy configuration that we can um, enable our customers to control, you know, for yeah. their department. So I think you have to, you know, otherwise it, it, it really, you can get yourself into a real pickle. <laughs> um, and as I said, you know, our CTO, Willie, he's, he's just a super, super smart person. You know, I just learned so much from, from just, sending him you know uh, a problem or discussing a problem with him and he will say you know actually no we, we should we should do it this way and you know if, if we didn't have him you know architecting our system from the beginning and and all the way along thinking in this way you know we, we would have gone <laughs> i don't know where we'd be <laughs> so so yeah it is it is it's m- always much more complicated um but i think the, the the task of uh, of somebody running a, a you know a, a software company is to take that complexity and kind of make it um, a, a, a kind of a configuration or something that uh, the user can control and you can start to delegate things mm. um, and and that's that's what we've been doing more and more is delegating um, uh, or impact you know, we think of kind of empowering so we do less and less for our customers over time uh, and they can start to use it that's interesting and that must that must be great for the business model as well as well to be perfectly honest because they get happier and happier with more and more problems solved and actually as you say they're empowered to do it themselves which which is great and then you become the platform that's ideal Nice one, man. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't envy your competitors, let's put it that way, getting their, getting their hands dirty in this space. I think there's so much that can be done. I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just a problem that's just so real to me. Just having been, you know, doing a GP job in my, in my second year and, um, and, and just literally seeing this problem face just 
literally in front of my face and 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 living it and it's good to, it's good to know that you guys are, are doing well and and obviously profitable and looking to scale and all the rest of it i mean for the people listening there's i mean there's there's lots of different hostel managers that listen to this in the uk and abroad i mean what would your kind of ask be of the people listening for if that maybe if they want to hear more or, or maybe is there anyone that you're particularly looking to get in touch with in terms of, you know, particular job titles or rest of it? Who is it out there that um, you think could benefit from hearing from you? Anyone really. So anyone who, um, you know, wants to, you know, passionate about solving problems, uh, you know, for, for clinicians, improving, um, you know, the working lives of clinicians, um, and and having delivering a better experience for for patients, I think anyone who who is in that space, so be them you know, clinicians or, or kind of managers um, in the NHS or, or anywhere else, um, or you know other companies who you know um, are adjacent to what we're doing or interested in 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 the way we we work, you know, very happy to to have a conversation with anyone really about awesome. it. Yeah, I, th- I think you get a few offers. I think um, I think particularly interesting there is the other companies, but I think for for people that are looking for that kind of reach into the system that you have and that might want to partner with you or they think they can add something onto the offers that you've got, I think that's a that's a really interesting one um, because I think I think for a lot of people you've done a lot of the hard work. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, no, congrats, man. It's been great catching up. It's been um, yeah, it's probably been too long since we've caught up. Four years. I mean, that's that's bad for us for keeping in touch with each other. But um, yeah, it's good to hear that you've done so well. Um, but yeah, look, the way that we end these podcasts, dude, is that I'll hand back over to you to quickly summarize a bit about yourself, um, a bit okay. about the company, and you've already done your asks to the audience. So yeah, just um, yeah, just close us out with with a bit of a summary, dude. Okay, so um, I'm uh, Owen, Owen Hughes. I'm uh, a CEO of uh, Synapsis, um, and we try and improve the working lives of clinicians and improve care for patients by allowing clinicians in different parts of the health system to communicate easily, share information and make the best decisions for for their patients. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.